I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. In this second part with my conversation with the Nebbia boys, J.J. Katea and Chef Brian Arliss, uh, just a quick proviso. We do talk about where Brian was employed. He was employed at Rohrbach. He's no longer employed there, so just keep that in mind through our discussion. Um, we finish our conversation. We did an hour and a half the first time talking about beverage pairings, and we kind of just went on a wide-ranging discussion in the second half. I'm really excited to see what these guys end up coming up with with the Nebbia concept. I think it's a really cool idea. So, um, hope you enjoyed the second half of the conversation. Just a reminder to go to curatemeals.com, my uh, food provision service here in town, where you can get a mystery meal for two, mostly focused around the small minority restaurants of Rochester. Go to curatemeals.com to order your events. We got some really cool stuff coming up. And more episodes of the Food About Town podcast in the works. So stay tuned for the rest of this episode with JJ Katea and Chef Brian Arliss from Nebbia. Well, we're back with a little kind of a mini episode of the Food About Town podcast. We did uh, part one with the um, hopefully near future Nebbia team. And we say near future in a optimistic, positive sense. You got to stay optimistic, <laughs> especially during these times. Yeah. There's near future. And then there's near future of a restaurant opening. Yeah. So, so JJ and Brian from the, uh, from the Nebbia team. Um, and we're just going to kind of talk because we've been one finishing some of this amazing wine uh, that we started in the, uh, started in the original episode. And I don't know, I might pull some stuff down from the shelf because <laughs> I got dropped off some. Um, I've been setting up to do spirit reviews here in the uh, in the podcast room, and um, my uh, my partner in the spirits review thing, uh, Chris Carlson. Um, I don't know. Have you met Chris JJ? Is Chris? Does he have like longer kind of like blackish grayish hair and everything? Yep. Oh yeah, Chris is dope. I've met him a bunch of times. He's one of those people where I never forget his face, but I always forget his name. Yeah, it sounds about I'm right. I'm an asshole. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, it's, I can't remember anybody's name. I can't so. remember names for anything, but I'll remember what you eat, what you drink, where I've seen you, mm-hmm. and then they'll be like, "Yes, it's Chris," and I'm like, "Huh?" Yeah, <laughs> of course. Yeah, Chris. Chris I have to is... check Facebook every time you come in, Chris. I'm yeah, just exactly. like, "Who is this?" I'm like, <laughs> "Who is that Chris?" Guy? Like, who, oh, food about oh, it's Chris. All right, yeah. Oh, I, I hear his voice. Now I know who he is. Um, <laughs> Just kidding. So uh, so Chris is uh, Carlson's one of our, probably our foremost spirits expert in Rochester. Um, he's he's run spiritsreview.com for many years. And I was looking to do more reviews and uh, do more spirit judging and things like that. So I was going to work with him and do uh, video reviews on YouTube of spirits through spirits review on YouTube. So that's going to be like my side of things. And he's going to do writing because this, I used to write uh, restaurant reviews in city years yeah. ago and I never enjoyed the process. Really? It was never, it was never for me. I was, I was a good writer, but that was through the miracle of editing. Yeah. Like I had yeah. really good editors. Uh, Jake Clapp, who was the editor at the time was just, he turned me into a much better writer than I actually was. See now, you saying that I think I can write, but now it's just full of self-doubt. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got really excited from a conversation uh, stemming from another meeting we had the other day. And I was like, oh, maybe I can write. I've always enjoyed that aspect. I mm. like speaking about what I pretend I know and maybe a little teaching aspect. But yeah. you saying all that, I probably don't know anything now. <laughs> well, I love I love the speaking part. This, this is what comes easily for yeah. me is 
you know, the having a conversation about things when it comes to getting words down on paper and making it flow and making it not just like me being like annoying, annoying, pretentious and <laughs> using big words and like run on sentences. Like this, this is a lot easier for me. Yeah. Three fourths of that is me. Annoying, pretentious, run on <laughs> sentences, <laughs> big words. Ah. Yeah. I did say, um, I tried to say, um, deter the other day with everybody at work. And I said, Dieter, and then everyone ripped on me. And I was like, how have I been working with you guys for three and a half years at good luck? We just we did our menu. Um, oh yeah. I saw that. Oh, that's gotta yeah. be, that's gotta yeah, be nice really drop. exciting. It's going to be a total shockwave. People are going to be like, Oh no, the thing I always ate is gone. Well, you know what? And, and I, it's going to be like, Hey, we want to do new things. We're a great restaurant and we're just stepping it up. Well, that's it, actually an interesting, that's an interesting topic in of itself is also a restaurant that is so well known for exactly, for the format of the menu being so consistent. I mean, remarkably consistent over 10 plus years now that the menu is very much, you walk in, it's, it's the same basic format as it has been since it opened within reason. Bum, bum, bum. That all changed. And I'm, 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 <laughs> to be honest, that's actually, for me, that's very exciting because it's a restaurant that has so much, you know, it. you go in and you have the specials and you're like, oh, got it. This is this is what a lot of things are. This is what the team is making at this moment are the specials because it's not to say those dishes aren't great that are on there, but to keep it fresh after so much time being yeah, open, that's, that's I think it's kind of important. That's what I've always, that's why... You know, specials to me are like the pinnacle of the week because, you know, the whole team has come together and they want to showcase something. Everything else, yeah, they can do it. They do it extremely well. But to really be focused and hone in on one thing and have an entire team come together for one thing, that's what really excites me about going out to restaurants. You know? It excites me painting the uh, picture. Like, we all get together. <laughs> you'll see me, like, walking around and after lineup, like – Literally, for, for anybody who's never worked in a restaurant, so we have lineup before. We actually do have meetings where we talk about everything. It's going to happen just like any other kind of company. Um, some <laughs> it people is kinda get shocked by that. Yeah, it's and funny. it is, it is kind of interesting because I, I hadn't worked really in the industry at all other than I did – I cooked the last two nights at Joe Bean when they were open. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and They're like, ah, oh, we got two nights left. Get in there, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> basically, that's what it was. Uh, I cooked the last two nights, and then um, – uh, since I've been doing my uh, pickups for Curate uh, over at the German House, um, if uh, our my friend and yours, Chris Grocky, needs some assistance. Broccolini. <laughs> if he needs some assistance for an event and, like, he's down a person and I happen to be available, I go and I, I, I bust tables. I, you know, set things up. I help him do whatever. And I, I hadn't gone through all that really before the – you know, the the lineup before and the process. And I found it really interesting – from, I mean, not, I mean, it's like an anthropo anthropological kind of way because like, I'm not going to be doing it every day, but also at the same time, like, yeah, I'm, I was set my priorities. I knew what I was going to do because it was organized really well. And I knew what my job was that day, especially if it's a little bit different each time. Chris yeah, Crocky does a great lineup. That's great, a great sign of a great really leader nice. right there too. Oh yeah. Now you have clear and concise directions. You can put, you just plug and play. Yeah. So at restaurants, so at good luck, um, Usually, typically, you're in at 3.30 for the openers, 4.30 for the closers. 4.30 isn't you walk in at 4.30. 4.30 is you're ready for lineup. Um, that's where we have 15 minutes where 
we have different topics for the week, whether it's a new wine that I'm putting on, whether it's a new cocktail that just got put on because we're a cocktail. I'm a sommelier that works at a cocktail bar, as Chuck likes to remind me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and um, like we just talk about different things. Hey, we can tighten this up. Uh, mate, guys, your, um, your setups aren't the way we liked it. We need to do this. Hey, I noticed the other day that maybe we're not letting the right away the guests go by first. We literally hone in on different things and just learn about them each week. And then from 4.45 to 5 o'clock is chef's time. And chef gets to talk about all the different food items, the specials for the week or the featured items. You know, we have two different ice creams that are always rotating. We go over that. We go over a meat board or cheese board. What's going on with the steak for, because it's a rotating market steak. Where's it coming from? Why is it special? And then we go through on all of the actual features for the day. So, 4.45, 5 o'clock hits pretty quick, right? That's a lot of information in 15 minutes. So it's 15 yeah. minutes. You have and to memorize. Yeah. I memorize that. And yeah. like literally, if you've ever had me, um, I would say by 5.05, I'm looking through, and we typically have three features um, that you have to eloquently speak about. So when you see me from 5 to 5.05, we're huddled in a little group, kind of like all folding napkins. And what we're doing is talking about, hey, how are you talking about this when we all kind of figure out how we're going to say it? Because, listen, I'm going to tell you a secret for every chef out there I've ever worked with. You guys are great. You talk really great about your food. You don't know how to sell shit on the floor. And that's, I need to make not what we're here for. <laughs> you're not here. For, you're here to make it taste good. Like, no, you give role. us keywords. You give us really good things. But it's my job to translate for chef to you, right? And knowing... How to do that is um, it's a skill, and that's literally what we do, and we just memorize everything. You're not well, supposed to check your book. You're supposed to memorize yep. it. Well, and part of that is the difference between just rote memorization as well and the challenge that I've always found is, um, is reading the table because, like, if we're having a conversation, I'm going to ask a lot different questions than some other people are going to ask. And people that are interested in trying something new, but maybe don't have the knowledge of the dish coming up, you have to talk into it in a very different way. You have to, you almost have to give them a pre-experience of that dish before they taste it. I think it's a great way to build trust right away. I'm yeah. going to tell you like my, my first table, you know, they get there early, they sit right down and they're like, Hey, um, what did like all of a sudden they're like, wait, how did you memorize it that quickly? It's like, first of all, when I worked at two vine and we had seven different things to memorize, I was like, Oh my God, this is impossible. Once you do it a few times for a few weeks, a few months, I've been doing restaurants since I was 20 and turning 36 and been in the game for a good amount of time. It just becomes second nature. Do you usually get to taste the dishes while you're, while you're trying to learn about them. So pretty disappointing thing for you all to hear. They don't make <laughs> us the steak of the day every day. <laughs> they have figured out that we know what steak tastes like. Yeah. But they will let us try different sides and everything. Um, a lot of different things. Like we, um, at Good Luck, we work with Autumn Harvest Farms. We get a whole cow in, right? And so that's where our oxtail and tripe dish comes from. Um, that's where, you know, we do a lot of beef tongue dishes after we collect enough beef tongue and we kind of do a lot of weird things. One of the great ingredients. Oh, oh I mean, 100%. gosh, you I can, mean, talk, talk, talk about beef tongue. Beef tongue was, I mean, so like I said, I'm, I'm vegan now, but like we just made Chris eat a bunch of non-vegan <laughs> food because we're assholes. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But the, um, when it comes to 
when it comes to let's say, I mean, for me, like, you know, more traditional style, like Mexican tacos or tortas, I think the king of all, you know, taco meats is lengua. I think oh, it's nearly perfect. Absolutely delicious. It's so good. I mean, talk, talk about beef tongue for a minute. So I've talked about it lots of times. <laughs> I was a little late in the game for, for a lot of things, actually. I didn't go to culinary school until I was 25. Mm. Was, what? You didn't have beef tongue at Outback? No, 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 no. Brian needs to work at Outback Steakhouse. It's, it's not. It's not on the menu. No, they they uh they kind of opted against that one. There wasn't a uh, so much tongue left. Is that yeah. where they have the blooming onion though? Don't talk shit about the blooming. I'm not talking shit. It's a culinary. It's, it's a culinary masterpiece. It's just crunchy. Just centripetal force oh, is really sweet, oh, crunchy, science. dippable. That's everything you want. It's crunchy and dippable. It's physics. It's Six thousand calories. Yes. How area. can you put so many calories into a dish? I, I actually think that the Outback loaded cheese fries with the ranch and everything on there was named like the most caloric uh, restaurant dish you could purchase. Yeah, and I think it was. Oh man, what was I watching? I think it was a. Uh, uh, I was at Keith Habersberger from the Try Guys when he tastes the whole menu yeah. on YouTube and he did like all of Outback. So he's tasting all of those dishes <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, how? And just like you see him deteriorate yep, as yep, you go yep. through a menu tasting. I won't lie though. I mean, their, their steaks were quality and the yeah. way they cook is just on point. And it truly taught me to cook vast amounts of steak perfectly every single time and within 10 minutes and we're never going to clown on anybody that works at a restaurant oh no you're our people you come into good luck and you tell me you work at outback you're going to get the special there was a reason i worked there for five years that you deserve like you're one of us well absolutely and i think that's that's important because we can you know we're i'm a nerd we're we're all nerds about cooking and food and hospitality and all those things even though that's not a place that we we're going to regularly patronize necessarily yeah it doesn't mean that one people aren't working hard That's and trying to do some best. of the hardest I've ever worked was there. Absolutely. Trying the to do their best. Intense. And the people that are serving at those places yeah. are doing their damnedest to give you an amazing experience. Yep. And they do. Absolutely. So some and of the greatest do. people I've ever met was from that restaurant experience. Absolutely. And it was some great them- to see two of them go on to be the owners of the Greece and Henrietta location, which I thought was absolutely amazing. Yeah. Some of the best come up stories. It's yeah. beautiful. Well, and you you also like you have no choice because the volume that you have to do at those places <laughs> is wild. You're Insane. Going to be busy. Yeah. It's guaranteed. Yeah. Seven days a week. And you know, I mean, there's in depending on which place, you know, a lot of things are bagged and a lot of things are this. But at that place, you can't get around cooking a steak. No. You can't. honestly, ninety percent of the stuff there was made fresh in house. Yeah. Which is a lot of work. All at the, the fries volume. are punched by the people that yeah. work there. Everybody, well, other 300 pounds a night. Big old things, uh, big old restaurants that they just boil things in bags. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, like it's, you know, like that sucks. But it's no, there cool. are it's places exciting. out there that you don't think, you know, makes everything quality, from scratch. Yeah. And they do. It's a lot of work. A lot of work. And the people are there to do it. Yeah. I am going to make one comment about steak cookery for a second, though. What's that? I hate crosshatching. Why do you hate it? Because I think generally it is the just en- curious. I think generally it's the enemy of quality. Um, because for me, crust is crust is important. Yep. And the textural contrast between a well cooked interior and an exterior is really what makes a a steak from this is an okay steak yeah. to an amazing steak. And generally, when it's cross hatching, means that the only thing that's hot is the grates. And you're not getting any real crust. You're getting the artifice of a crust. 
versus like the actual contact and more yeah. direct heat. Okay, or so more you're talking the heat. actual what looks to be painted on lines. Yeah, and really where the grills the grills really aren't that hot. Yeah. And that the only thing that's cooking you've got you've got some radiant and you know air convection. Yeah. But you're not getting that like you know, real sizzle on the crust like you would from intense direct heat. Yeah. So that's why, and it's not the cross hatching itself. It's the, <laughs> it's the connotation that cross hatching brings to me. I'll versus, definitely agree with you there. Versus a yeah. like, you know, a hard flat top or a broiler sear where you get that real, yeah, you know, that contrast of crunch. Yeah, it's borderline an infrared style heat, and yeah. you're getting you're cooking it perfectly just on that nice top layer. Yeah, it's part of like the quality, like quality tree of yeah. things. If I see it, it's it's really hard to do both. You can't have great cross hatching and a really hard crust unless you're also putting in a broiler to get that really yeah, intense. And then at that point, you have it. like a four inch tomahawk or something. Right, right, right. <laughs> Very different. Hi, two, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> but that's like my that's like my my nerdery coming out because like for me, it's like oh, you can quickly make an analysis of something and. I one of one of my good friends, Chris Clemens from Exploring Upstate and any number of things, he always he always hates when I do it <laughs> is when I'm like, Oh, I don't I don't need to go to the restaurant. I've read the menu. I know what I know what's hap- I know what they're doing. Yeah. I can taste yep. the food before I go there. Yep. And he's like, How can you know that? How can you <laughs> how can you taste this before you well, go? Well you look there? at the words that are being used and you you can you can take it in a direction. Yeah, and that's not always perfect, of course. Yeah. And you make mistakes that way. That's what prejudging does. You make mistakes <laughs> when you prejudge things. And you see those Nebbia boys are doing real weird things. They're just like, <laughs> I don't even know what they're doing. Well, hopefully that can turn into a nice shtick where you're so confused, you just have to come and try yeah, it. You just got to come and just, uh, you know. <laughs> I, if, if you have a menu, you're just going to do like three words, bread, fish, <laughs> sauce <laughs> yeah we're gonna be ambiguous vague. we're either going just to no beat words. you over the head with it with a novel <laughs> bread or with fish and egg salad i'm just gonna yeah. be like <laughs> wine sandwich yeah. wine shrimp <laughs> vegan option we will just so everyone knows we will always have one vegan gluten-free oh, there will always be tons option yeah at a minimum because and it's not even thought of it like that it's just certain things work out certain ways well, Certain, I, it's it's there's so many surprising dishes that we've already done where we're like, oh yeah, this is entirely vegan, gluten free, and we're just like not even trying. Well, I agree completely, and that's from from the perspective now coming up on two years of doing vegan full time. I think the biggest it's not a revelation because I was already eating that way most of the time. Mm-hmm. Is that you know the foods that I go to mostly, I enjoy the places that are doing you know they're doing the facsimiles of that yeah. food. Like I think Red Friend does a really good job. I think lots of those restaurants are really good. What do I go for most of the time? I go for cultural foods that are, you know, by definition, either vegan or vegan friendly. Yeah. That's what I eat mostly. Like I eat, I eat Szechuan food. Yeah. You know, I eat, I, mean, I eat a lot of that Szechuan opera. A lot of that stuff so has good. a long standing so tradition. Good. So, so good. you know, it's going to be good. Well, it's not boring flavors, yeah. right? I want punchy flavors. I was just in Boston over the weekend, and I ate it. It has to be one of my absolute favorite restaurants that I've ever been to. It's a place called Blossom Bar in, um, I forget what town it is, uh, but it's um, an amazing cocktail bar, but also a Szechuan restaurant. And the cocktails are so well done, and the food is 
really well done, but it's not elevated. Yeah. You know what? You could try to do it fancier, like, you know, really fine plating of all these, you know, of your Szechuan things, you know, really, you know, upscale techniques and, you know, all the, all those things to make it finer. Yeah. It's not that it's just really well executed, like top notch execution of Szechuan classics. And some of the things are a little bit finer technique, but most of the dishes are just really good. And then with amazing cocktails, it's like my perfect restaurant. Yeah, that sounds like a home run. Sounds like what we want to do, except with cocktails. So let's go hang out with them. That's oh, right. So amazing. If you go, it's, I couldn't recommend that place highly enough. Like when I, I think I was talking to my buddy, I'm like, man, this is like, this is like a nine and a half out of 10. And like, it's really like, I'm brutal with my ratings. <laughs> I was going to say, have you ever given anything a 10 out of 10? Jeez. I never, I never really went to numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when I'm talking with friends, yeah, like I'll go to numbers. Often I'll I'll kind of contextualize when I'm reviewing a place with with friends. Like, yeah. hey, so like we went to uh, a dosa restaurant, right? Or as a vegetarian Indian place that focused on dosa, and I thought the food was good. And the way I kind of classify restaurants like that is, all right, if somebody said I wanted to go there, I would 100% go there again. But if you said, hey, we're going to go to an Indian restaurant, I would say, hey, I'd like to try a new place. Okay. That makes sense. So good. I would never, I wouldn't quibble in the lightest if somebody said, hey, let's go there. I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. Let's go eat there. It was good. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go there on purpose necessarily. Like we went to an Armenian place that did falafel. And like that place, I would go to again on purpose. Okay. But it edged up to like an eight. Because, <laughs> because, or a seven and a half, seven and a half or an eight, like a lot of things were really good, but it didn't have fresh, fresh, um, uh, fresh roll, fresh yeah. pita or like a shrock bread for Syrian food. It didn't have fresh, like, uh, you know, bread for the thing mm-hmm. that would bring it up into like, oh my God, this is one of the best falafel rolls I've ever yeah. had. But you can't like, no tense. I, I would a hundred percent go back there, <laughs> but, but yeah, I would go there on purpose. Yeah, see, I had a I had a chef actually at culinary school um, during one of the early skills classes. So you're just kind of developing your skills and honing the finer things. You know, can you do a brunoise, Julianne? Uh, and then you do all that. You bring it up to him, and he grades you. Just pokes at it, quick little number grade. Eh, eight, nine. Chef, how come you never give anybody a ten? He's like, well, I I wouldn't give myself a ten, so why do you get a ten? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I I get that now. Right, you can't make micrometer accurate yeah. brunoise. Like, I mean, there's there's a limit to technique. There's yeah. a limit to your. I talent. mean, I could pull out a ruler and show you that it is by definition flawless. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to bring something up because oh, we totally. I started talking about eggs and wine, and then we just got sidetracked on a million things because we're nerds and yeah. that's what we do. So my theory, right, that I came in, I'm almost happy. That it's in the second sub episode. Yeah. Instead of, because I don't want to share all my secrets, but. <laughs> so Chris Crocky and I were out. It's super funky, natty style wine, right? Funky, smells like a butthole in like a tasty, savory way. Like a very beautiful. In a very millennial kind of way. In a very millennial way, yeah. In yeah. a very millennial ass eating way, right? right? Yeah. Where you get the sub episode, there's no hold bars. <laughs> we're discussing. Mom will not be listening to this one. She'll get the link to the regular podcast. Um, but it's just like, so they're dirty wines, right? 
And what we discovered is that the deviled egg went with it. So I developed this theory that egg white is used as a fining agent, not only in just wine, but in cooking and a lot of other things. So now I'm looking at all these fining agents with these unfined wines and they naturally I had this theory that they would they would interact, right? You're going to get an interaction. You're going to get a chemical reaction that is undeniable mm. because it's going to, um, you know, attach to solids and precipitate and suspend, you know, take out a suspension and take away a layer. And so we have been, that's where we started experimenting with egg in so many things where we're like, whoa, um, I'm still trying to uh, figure out how I could tell Brian that we need to do something with fish bladders. Because they're a fighting agent. Insulin glass. Insulin glass. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, right? So it's one of those things that seems obvious, but when we finally enacted it, we were like, wow, this is actually pretty accurate. Mm. And there is a totally different way on funky, unfined, unfiltered natural wines like Contori, um, Cabernet Sauvignon. Yep. We will approach which uh we're, we're definitely gonna bring that one in when we have a spot we'll <laughs> approach that wine totally different than we will like a west coast like a fucking big old you know napa daddy of like hey we're doing all this and they're like scientifically like why well, i find i to be honest i find a lot of those wines kind of boring and i think something like that which is so big and body and all that stuff i think those are the wines that benefit the most from you know, from an overt, and I say overt natural presence, because a lot of amazing wines that we'll taste, um, like I, I bought my mom a, she wanted a sweet wine, mm-hmm. and she asked for ice wine, so I eventually ended up with the the Weimer um, uh, Late Harvest twenty fifteen. <laughs> I mean, you just said Weimer, Weimer, so you're yeah. doing like you're doing the right thing. It was, I mean, truly one of the finest sweet wines I've ever had. And I've, I sampled it with three different people. And, you know, it's priced accordingly. It's yeah. phenomenal. But what did what did I do? I shared it with, you know, I shared it with my mom and we got to taste it. And then I shared it with one of my, you know, food writing friends from Buffalo. And we sat and we enjoyed it and savored it and loved it. And then I got to share it with my buddy in Boston when I was out there last weekend. And we finished the bottle. But that means we shared it over that many people because you can't drink a lot of that. You can't yeah, drink no. a lot of that thing. Two ounce pour. That's what but we do I with got, the block. But I got to share that with, you know, all those different people, and we got to taste something truly exceptional. Um, but yeah, that like that one is so it's so much, and you have it in small pours. And when you're talking about like Cabernet Sauvignon from from Napa, so many of those are you know big, fifteen percent, sixteen percent, seventeen percent huge. Shouldn't exist. The yeast died. How right. are you getting higher alcohol? <laughs> So huge, dense, but fruit forward, low acid, big body, high oak. And then you talk about ones that are maybe harvested a little earlier or natural fermented and are overtly going against those big flavors to try to make it a different profile of wine versus what people know of Cabernet Sauvignon. Like, that's interesting. That's fun. I think that's where natural wine can shine the most, but like that... Um, when I mentioned that wine, the reason I brought it up was that's natural fermented, right? They, yeah. They're not doing that. That's still naturally fermented, yeah. but it's not in this, in the new overt natural flavors where they're, they're controlling the process more tightly. 
but they're also not adding yeast to things. So just so people know, um, we're talking about spontaneous fermentation and naturally occurring yeast. Um, there are people and all over the world, and it's not wrong. It's not wrong by any means, but they will pick very specific strains of yeast. And it could be something that they've been culturing, like have a culture of with their family that has been there for generations and it's how they do it. And that's romantic in its own way. It could be something where it's like, hey, it's experimental in a lab. And like, we're sitting here talking about, um, you know, Midnight Roma tomatoes, or right? Midnight Roma? Yep. Yeah. And like all these things. And like, it's experimental kind of lab shit where they got away from how big can we make a vegetable and how quick can we grow it to their like, how tasty can we make it? Um, where they're like, hey, these flavors are very specific to it. Nothing is wrong. By doing it, I will tell you what is wrong. What is wrong is when you do, I, I put myself on, I'm not a natural wine guy. I, I appreciate natural wines and I appreciate minimal intervention. Same. All things on there. What I don't like is mass produced additional bullshit. Wine is one of the few things that you don't have to label the ingredients on. And people are like, ingredients, it's just fermented grapes and probably a little SO2. Um, guess what? There are your companies, there's these big, big, big brand names when they started off and they're like, you know, a thousand case production. And then all of a sudden they get bought by a huge corporation and they're doing 30,000. They are adding, literally, they will cook down certain varietals and make a syrup out of them and add them to your wine. Well, that that's, that's wrong. Taste the same? Yeah. Yeah. No. So, so interesting. So I'll, I'll give an example of this. So I don't know if I've used it on the podcast, but I was, um, I was out in, uh, we were out in Cincinnati visiting my, my wife's aunt. That's a, one of her, uh, family members. That's I just still have to around. say it again. Cincinnati. Cincinnati. <laughs> home of Skyline Chili. Uh, Cat Williams. Let's <laughs> go right to Cat Williams. Or he just talks. That's it. He's just Every like, time. Cincinnati. And it's <laughs> awesome. And he's hilarious. And oh, that was, uh, that was college. That was 2005, 2006. <laughs> oh, All of his, uh, it was releases. Good Anyways, days. I'm yeah. sorry. So you're with her out in Cincinnati. So we're, we're visiting Cincinnati and you know, she was just drinking, you know, I'd say a generic, generic, cheaper wine. Mm-hmm. And I looked at the bottle, you know, I did a brief investigation before I tasted it. And I saw, you know, 15 something percent. Right. So, okay. High alcohol. I tasted it and it had huge, big racy acidity. I'm like, first note, I'm like, oh, well they added acid to this because you can't have it both ways. You can't have all back. <laughs> you can't have huge alcohol and high acid. It doesn't work that way. You can't have both because as the fruit ripens, it's rare. It's rare. There are certain varietals like yeah. Nebbiolo that has both, but it's rare. It's very difficult. And we're, when we're talking about things like, or you get, Grapes like Cabernet Sauvignon, where they've added added acidity to it to bring a liveliness to these, you know, wines that are so big. Like, oh, you added acid to this. And it's so obvious then when you're talking about that concentration, like these super purples and these basically, like, it tastes identical every vintage forever. Well, you can't do that. Like when you taste Tropicana orange juice, that's the best example of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. Everybody knows Tropicana orange juice, right? What does it taste like? It tastes like Tropicana orange juice. Why does it never taste like anything else? Well, it's not because they grow exactly the same oranges. It's because they pull out orange flavor, they balance it, and they make it taste like Tropicana, and they add con- they add 
orange flavor or Tropicana orange flavor to that to make sure every bottle, every carton tastes the same. It's not. It's not it's, orange juice, but it's not not orange juice. It's Tropicana. I mean, right, it's Tropicana. It tastes like Tropicana every time. Do you remember the last bottle of GB Berlotto that we tasted of this exact Barbera, exact vintage? Had way it, it tasted different. There's bottle variation, and sure. it's sexy. It's beautiful that there's one bottle you get because again, every bottle is its own ecosystem, and it should taste different. Every vintage, you don't trust. I will tell you guys if you're out there shopping for wine, you're getting into wine, and you think that oh, you know, like 2010 is supposed to be the best vintage ever. Don't vintage hunt. Producer hunt. Um, the producers are always going to know what's great, what's good. They might fuck it up every once in a while, but it's always going to be great um, from certain producers because they know what to do. It's a family tradition, especially old world wine. I'm an old world guy, um, which is, if for anybody who doesn't know what that means, Europe, pretty much. Um, European wine. Yeah, uh, I mean, But they but just not really nothing. go with it. Cabernet, though, also I just have to say, Cabernet should have vibrant acidity with it because it naturally does occur on a uh, medium to medium plus, a medium plus uh, acid and tannin most of the time. Bordeaux is way more apparent on it if they are not doing super tiny barrique overly oaking like because they had to catch up to Napa because yeah. Napa became the sexy style of overly macerated, overly oaked. But again, you kind of feel <laughs> these certain wines <laughs> and you're like, this is like, like I, I said Malbec because it's, um, you know, Master Sommelier Chris Bates taught us where we were going through a Malbec tasting. He was like, yeah, you know, the acid is medium plus on Malbec. This was definitely acidified. And it's just like, he's like, yeah, you know, like it's what they do in Argentina. It's how you know. Uh, it's how you know you're in Argentina with Malbec. Yeah. And it's kind of like, it's not wrong. You know, it's not wrong to acidify. If you need to do these little things, these little like things, it's not particularly wrong, but it, it's the combination of doing multiple of these things. If you're using a lot of fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, all these things, if you can avoid those, we all eat organic, right? We drink or we should drink organic, right? We want to take the shit out, go to biodynamics and it's good for the earth. It's good for the wine. I'm a biodynamic nerd. I'm not a natural nerd. It's is a my little, 20 minute right. roundabout <laughs> way of saying things. It's a little bit more. And we, we talk about, you know, people use the term terroir. It's basically, you know, it's of a place. Yeah. Right. And when you, when you get, when you get great food from a farm, That's you taste exactly food. what I was going to say is food is the exact same way. You know, you're not shopping for a specific cut of meat. Maybe I want my meat from Autumn's Harvest. Yes, we do. Yes, we Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yes, we do. There are do. so many different wonderful farms around here that you can get all these excellent things, and you don't have to change the way you think And in order to really find the flavors you want. you know, I can get vegetables from Stick and Stone, and I know they're going to be grown this way. I can go get my turkey every year from autumn's harvest. And I know it's going to be absolutely stunningly amazing. Right. Or like, I always bring it up because, you know, he's an easy one to bring up, you know, film Phil from uh, Fisher Hill farm. Right. Yep. I so we're getting our chicken liver for a chicken liver moose. at good luck. It's a delight. <laughs> it's really good. I've, I've eaten it. I've had that. I've had their chicken hearts there, but I've also, I've been to his farm for dinner and I've seen how his birds were raised. Yeah. I've been to all these farms, you know, i luckily um, with my time at the U of R, we, we're really big into the local economy. So we went to all these farms and just pretty much scoped out what everybody was doing. And it was incredible. How long were you at the, were you at U of R? Uh, just shy of five years. 
interesting. Yeah, because that's I went to U of R for and when I graduated in 05. Okay. Before his time. And wild, wildly, <laughs> wildly different yeah. from what it was then. Yeah. Let me uh, let, me, what it is let me talk Brian up a little bit because he might not talk himself up. Oh, enough. please. Um, but what Brian did is he were contracted through Aramart, but one of the main things he did was bringing local food, locally grown and raised food into U of R and put a lot of money into local farmers and uh, pockets, right? Yeah, and the, the reason Autumn's Harvest is as big as they are now is because of the U of R. Well, and that's the thing with the systemic, I mean, uh, not to get into the weeds about systemic versus <laughs> versus individual decisions, but institutional changes make a huge impact on other things, Yeah, right? And institutional change is much bigger than one person making a change to eat local and eat, you know, from quality producers and drink from quality producers. An institutional change makes a real difference. One, in the lives of, you know, all the students that are being there because they get to eat better. But at the same time, you're right, the impact it makes on the local food scene. Yeah. When whole school systems change, when a college like that brings all that food in, that's a huge impact. So another one, too, is the just the rapid expansion of Headwater Food Hub. And how quickly they blew up! What a, I mean, I've what worked up, with them. Phil Bianchi. Yep, <laughs> Phil and the the whole team over there was Phil, my uh, my good buddy Ben Tolhurst there. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. stuff. So also on that same note, when I first got furloughed at the beginning of COVID, I immediately called up Phil and was like, "Hey, I need a little uh, under the table work here. So <laughs> you guys need a little help." That's when they kind of kicked off their <laughs> right. <laughs> But when they kicked off their Headwater at Home program and they were really, they were starting to design all those care packages and boxes for everybody, I was lucky enough to be there helping a couple of days a week, just put all this stuff together. And to be able to see all that from the back end, you know, I'm ordering tens of thousands of dollars worth of stuff from them via U of R, but then to go there and then package all that food and just see it come in and, you know, takes four of us to lift an entire cow out of the back of a truck and it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. And the, the, the whole organization over there, uh, I worked with them on a prior startup I was doing called frankly, where we we're trying to do transparency and sourcing of uh, food stuffs across the, uh, across the platform of how, where do foods go from and where do they go to? Yeah. Um, and they were great. We loved working with them and trying to, trying to learn more about the process. And I went out and visited there a bunch of times and it's just, it's such it's a great organization, especially for places that don't have enough volume to do self-distribution yeah. to larger, larger places like the U of R. Yeah. It's refreshing. Yeah. It's hard for you to deal with a really small farm directly. Yeah. And it was it's really hard for nice the farm to, too. I want to be able to, I mean, there was one um, holiday dinner we did at just one single dining hall and we were able to purchase $12,000 worth of ribeye just so we can roast it all off and serve it up to the students. Yeah. You know, we're serving 1400 students in one night and just to be able to highlight all of these local ingredients the students don't even they may not even know that you know 80 percent of that dinner came from 50 miles away and that's huge i mean i i certainly appreciate that considering um considering the food that i ate at the u of r for four years <laughs> um, i was gonna say ub did not yeah, have really. the same concept <laughs> no thank you ub for having such terrible food that i went home and my mom cooked, bro- I, I still remember, like, I'm the most finicky eater ever growing up. 
and you would never notice because I'm eating turmeric pickled shrimp with Monthia <laughs> you now. And I'm like, so okay. But um, I went home and my mom had broccoli on the table and I just started eating it. And she was like, why are you eating broccoli? What's wrong with you? You don't eat things like this. And I was like, I'm just so hungry. I'm so hungry now. I'm so hungry. And that's where I just started eating everything. And then also Gino Ruggiero um, was a head chef at Tuvine for a very long time. Owns Fiorella, probably my favorite. It's restaurant. A, it's such a killer restaurant yeah. from top to bottom. If you haven't had their pizza, you're an idiot. Really good. Say that. Even if you're gluten intolerant, you're still an idiot. Real learn, long, real long fermentation. Yep, yep, yep. Well, and he's he also in, Nick Wheel hand. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I'm no. so muscular, I can't eat gluten. <laughs> uh, but you know, my my friends who are, I'd say gluten intolerant, they can eat properly fermented out. Yep. Grain products, the naturally uh, leavened like, process, uh, like is, uh, like Flower City Bread does, and yeah. what um, again we have natural fermentation going on, right? We have one, the yeast cells, and how much of that is really chemical sensitivity versus gluten sensitivity too? It's hard to no clue, hard to delineate the two because a lot of people actually end up having chemical sensitivity to how the grains are grown yep. versus. Oh, it's actual gluten sensitive because all those all those breads are laden with all the chemicals that are yeah. in there, and for those like hey, you can get well grown local grain turned into amazing pizza at Fiorella or great bread that over at Flower City, like that's that's yeah. how you try. Yeah, and it was I mean this all comes back from taking something that wasn't broken, and then just breaking it, and now everybody's sick. Yeah. This I mean this is all stemming from what? World War II when you know the invention of sliced bread. My it, grandmother is my grandmother is 90, right? And she's uh first generation Italian. Uh Isabel, love you Grams, you're the best. Uh big which, podcast listener is Yeah, grandma loves listener. technology. She knows how to answer the phone and <laughs> <laughs> um we'll we'll tell you every single episode of Law and Order SVU ever with my aunt Cheryl and they'll watch oh. it together and they'll be like, "Hey, this is when or this happens." And I'm like, "Oh, so we're not going to watch this when they were babysitting me cuz my parents like to ditch me and go to the casino because I'm the fourth out of five. Yep. They were like, screw this. You're going, no, I'm just kidding. They were great Maximum parents. effort. <laughs> yeah. They were great. They were great parents. Um, But they literally memorize all of it. But my grandmother will tell me how she has to change very traditional recipes in her family because the flour sucks now. She's yeah. like the flour, the ingredients aren't the same. It's not the same that it was when I was growing up learning these recipes. So my grandma's 90, right? It's 2022. So that's what, 1932? Yeah. Right? So that's 1932. And you have to think like, so she like was learning all these recipes as a teenager and in her 20s and whatnot, you know, cooking and everything because we're very traditional, old school uh, Italian, uh, you know, Sicilian, Southern Italian family. And she's like, from what I was doing back in like, the late 40s, 50s, 60s is not the same recipes I can make today. And she has to tweak and adjust and change. And she definitely has been like, it's the flower. That's a case study right there yep. in itself. I trust my grandmother's palate over any of you fools in Rochester. Well, see, we, we have to we have to get uh, we have to get her a Christmas gift of some farmer ground flour. Oh, love that stuff. Which oh. is really good. 
She'll like that's it. that's a Christmas present, oh, right? She'll there. love it. Yeah, that's just a when she gets back from Florida because you know Grandma's a snowbird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she deserves to be because it's chilly out here and gross. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'll give that to her and be like, Grandma, here's some good flour. Yeah, I mean, and that, go back to the old school roots. But that the, that's the kind of thing that would make somebody's day, you know. Yeah. And when you taste that stuff, it tastes different. Yeah, even it though really I, does. I did hear little birdie told me that farmer ground flour specifically, their protein contents kind of jump a little bit per bag. So it's a little hard to bake with. That's not a hundred percent surprising though. Yeah. Cause Which, it's I mean, hard that's to a even totally natural it's variation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's a variation based on, uh, based on terroir. Let's say right. terroir. Again. If anyone doesn't know what terroir is, it's the culmination of site. Yeah. Slope, soil, sun, wind, heat, what the ground everything. tastes like everything. It's what the ground is. That dirt. It's where you are <laughs> on the earth and where that point in the earth tastes like. Which is why, like, I'm I'm a terrible baker because I don't have feel for anything. Yeah. And I don't do it with any frequency where I know the feel of... You guys are going to make me crush this bottle. Well, I huh? mean, you can leave some for my wife. She'd like to oh, taste some. Oh, your wife is so sweet. I love her. I'll, she go, pump, I'll have, go pump a bottle down for her. She can have any. <laughs> she's the fucking coolest. You're all right. She's cool. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> always the case forever. And we're all riding on the coattails. I, you know, it's, I ride on Brian. Brian's not my wife. You know, he's got a wife, but... He's my homie. I ride on his coattails with all his dope ass food, and I'm like, "Hey, this wine tastes good." <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're gonna take a brief break in this sub episode, <laughs> and I'm gonna pull out some a weird sample of something I want you guys to taste because it's. Yes. I, I got dropped this Can off. Can you do so. a sound effect on this oh, one? Oh yeah! Wait a second! Wait a second! What do I have? Shut up! <laughs> on that note, we're going to break. <laughs> It's that time of the podcast again to remind you to go to curatemeals.com to order your meal for one of our upcoming events. We've got some really interesting restaurants coming up. We try to keep on bringing you the most interesting and diverse foods that Rochester has to offer. Recent meals included food from Namaste, food from Nosh, and many different places around Rochester. So go to curatemeals.com. Follow us on all the social medias as well while you're at it and order meals. Let me know if you have any questions. You can hit me up, sturmy at curatemeals.com to ask me any questions about what we do and if you have any allergy concerns. Hope to see you at our next pickup at the historic German house. And we're back with the last part of our sub episode with the team from, uh, from the forthcoming Nebia experience. The Nebbia experience on vinyl. Oh, yeah. mm. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> also, we did the Wayne's World three, two, one. So if you didn't see it, because you can't, because there's not a camera, <laughs> we did it. It was very nice. We're cool. <laughs> so I poured. This is uh, this is distillate that uh, was um, that I have on my shelf that somebody made um, out of a fruit. So this is a fruit brandy. And I would love to know if you have thoughts about what it could be. I don't know if you have a lot of experience with eau de vie or fruit brandies. Um, Cause those, I, I love them. It's not like my number one nerdery, but it's um, one of my favorite things to work through because the, when it's made well, it can be so evocative of the fruit. Some of them are very restrained and boring. Uh, but when I was, uh, prepping to do my WSET spirit stuff, I tasted a bunch of eau de vie just to work through how to taste them better. So you're definitely leading us through this then because I don't (laughs) 
have a lot of experience at all. Yeah. And I could taste, like, I, I, I have to say liquor is really tough to break down sometimes. Mm. Um, we just did a bunch of retraining at Good Luck. We, ch- we shut down for a week. Um, we are tightening things up and making a better experience for you, but we tasted a bunch of whiskey and t- and we did an agave day and mm. the agave was really fun because we have some really weird shit on there. Well, and it's it's yeah. so wide ranging. People people lock in on tequila as one flavor, mm-hmm. and it's really reductive to talk about tequila as one flavor. Uh, it's it's yeah. not doing you it. You could justice. break it out just like wine. And it's there's the, so much. And even just in tequila, where you're dealing with one strain of agave plant, typically. Ooh, agave, yeah. The wild amount of variation you can get from regionality and technique in production is huge. I tasted some amazing stuff recently that one of the local distributors had. It was astonishingly good. Very local, very you're very expressive. Um but in and then you get into different different varieties of agave and mezcals and things. Anyways. So this is single fruit. This is pot stilled. So it's very, so you're getting more concentration of flavor, more concentration of those things. It's not pulling out all the flavors. Like column stills, you get more flavors pulled out. Pot stills, you keep more of those esters, which are the. I would say Anjou pear. You're along the right, you're along the right road. It is not pear, but it is one of those kind of fruits. So why, why would you say pear? I think that's a great, so florals i'm getting some florals i'm getting some brightness i'm not getting the super and of course it's distilled so it's very tough it no the this, acid isn't going to carry over no but this is very evocative of the original fruit so i just go super weird and say jicama <laughs> so always weirdo. i actually i don't know how that would work because it doesn't have a lot of sugar no it doesn't so so JJ's closer on the direction. I see why you're saying it because there's a crispiness yeah. mm-hmm. to the to the nose. It's, it's almost like a little bit more dry to me. I would say like yeah. a yellow apple then if it wasn't pear. Yep. So pear's closer because it has concentrated florals. You can smell almost some of the tannins. And so this is quince. Oh. So it okay. is distilled yeah. quince. So pear's close because it has a lot of florals. <laughs> are fucking nice. It has yeah. a lot of skin, right? You can you can taste the skins and seeds. When you taste, you can almost taste the seeds in there too. It's really fascinating and really well done. It does have tannin from the skin or from the seeds. It's so smooth though. It's, but yeah, it's really Painfully lovely smooth. and soft. Yeah. I, I almost smell like I get a hard alcohol nose, mm-hmm. but then you taste it and it's oh, completely Oh, the palate's gone. so soft. Yeah. No, I it's think... It's so soft and smooth. This has to be like, what, 22% alcohol top? Oh, no, no. It's it's well... It's over 40. Get the fuck out of oh, here. Oh, no, no. It's it's uh, close to... I think... I think I was told it was in the mid-40s wow. percent. So That's ridiculous. This is so yeah. smooth. I thought it was super... Low distillate. I was expecting a low distillate or a cut that it was cut with water. No, this is no, this is this is right on in the in the mid forty percent. It has a beautiful perfume, like white floral. Just almost when you breathe in after. I always tell people like when you try a liquor, um, and you you know way more than I do about tasting liquor, um, but when you breathe in after, you get a whole different layer of flavor, and this has like this real. Not quite minty, but almost eucalyptus kind of yeah. lift to it. Yeah. And it's fun. 
For sure. And you're right. When you, the tannins from the skins and all the other stuff, because of how much it was really worked through and because it's not huge, huge yield, it's kind of like when you're dealing with like, like uh, traditional cider apples that have more flavor. They have more tannins, they have more complexity. Pre-prohibition apples. Yeah. There's, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like what a quince is like quinces are weird fruits. Yeah. They're bitter, they're sweet, they're floral, they're tannic. It's an odd fruit, but it makes for a really interesting distillate. Um, I don't, I probably shouldn't mention who made it because I'm not sure it's legal. Um, <laughs> Let's not mention it. We're underground here. Um, but it's also like made with a lot of care and somebody who loves quince. And because you, you really emphasize that and the work that it takes to make that. Yeah is it's a lot of work to make a quince distillate because it's just a pain in the ass. You can't just cook it out, crush. You can't crush it like, like dessert apples and turn it into a distillate because dessert apples have a ton of sugar. They're easy to process. No big deal. Pears is a quick hooch. Yeah, this is not, this is, (laughs) I love the term hooch. I do too. I did. I was on that train for a little bit. Yeah. Give me the hooch. Bunch of apples, cooking them down, fermenting them. I just pop a bottle and see what happens. It works. It does. And it's not It's not to say it's bad. Like, I'll, I'll use uh, our friends at uh, Rootstock Cider as an example, yeah. right? You know, they do a really good job. It's a quality-made product. Most of their stuff is with dessert apples, right? And I use them as an example because I think it's a really good version of a dessert apple cider. It's crisp. It's to the point. It's light. Everything about it's enjoyable. Yeah. I like it. It's a good product. Yeah. It's not the most complex expression of apple that you can get in a cider. Uh, we've been we've been doing cider pairings at uh, with Curate uh, over at the German House, and we've had um, we've had uh, pear cider from Normandy. We've had Spanish Spanish cider. We just had Spanish ciders. What's up? So good. I had an amazing ginger pear cider um, when I was in London. Mm. My you wife sound was- like you're from London. <laughs> The amount of times I said that, <laughs> I'm surprised I wasn't forcibly removed from London. <laughs> the dudes with all the, the funny hats. Oh yeah, they would have came and got you. Like yep, you know yep. what I'm talking about. Like the march me right out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, set me in front of the queen. Get I out. love when they, I love when people cross over the line and they just truck right over them. They're like, "Oh, you're trying to get a picture? I'm protecting the queen." Which also, <laughs> could we just talk about? I might piss a lot of people off. Why the fuck is there still a monarch existing? <laughs> you didn't see the wine she just put out too? The what? She just put out her own wine. We got that queen wine? I don't think we're good enough for Gotta it. Get no, that. definitely not. Us. <laughs> no. so, Brody, you're from the city and from the west side. <laughs> we're not getting queen wine. Oh, west side of Rochester? Oh, jeez. I'm, geez, I'm surprised yeah, you guys not me. Yeah, That's all him. Uh, yeah. No, I don't, I don't I go mean, over there. I mean, you realize that my there. name is, my last name six letters. Four of those are vowels. <laughs> You didn't guess I was from the West Side. <laughs> I'm touching the earth with my nose. Like I'm from the West Side. Yeah, I'm from sure. Gates. Tahoe's <laughs> is my line. That's that's a line in the sand for me. Yeah. I try not to cross it. Yeah, no, oh it's a little further west. Oh. A couple neighborhoods over. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I got to share this with uh, was, with other yeah, people. Thank you. That's so interesting. It's incredible. It's so fun. Whoever you are out there making it, we appreciate you. <laughs> yeah, keep up the good work. Keep on bootlegging. But it's, I think those are the kind of things where when people are doing fun things, it's nice to share with, it's nice to share with others because like I have that, you don't like, it's hard to sit down and drink that by yourself. Yeah. 
mean, not that I won't, but, <laughs> but at the same time, it's not like, what's the most enjoyable way to do that is to taste it with friends Yep. because it's much more, it's a much more enjoyable experience and that it's much more interesting to do that. And you can sit here and have conversations like this. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's, uh, oh, we're going back to this one. oh yeah. Let's go back to the white. Um, there it's, I bring this up all the time. I could try the best wine in the world. If I don't have one of my friends there to try it with me or somebody to connect with so that we could talk with everybody about why that's one of the best wines in the world, then who fucking cares? Yeah. It's not, it's not an enjoyable experience. And that's why I'm a come from a family of five. Everything's shared. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the same thing as five kids, seven total. Yeah. (laughs) But again, West side Italian. Sorry, Chris also (laughs) interrupt people all the time. West side Italian. Hey, no, I'm just kidding. But I think all of us have had amazing things through the, through the generosity of others. We've had things that are well outside of our capabilities to acquire and astonishingly great things that yeah. we've all had the um, all had the luxury of tasting through the generosity of others. And but what I can do is for the things I do have, like I don't have the most fine collection, the most rare, the most expensive collection. But what what do I do? I share it. You share it with people that come over and want to taste. Yeah. Now, if you're dropping whiskey in soda, I'm probably not going to be serving you the most interesting whiskeys I have. <laughs> But otherwise, like, if you want to taste, I don't care how experienced you are. It's irrelevant to me. Like, if you want to enjoy it, you can taste anything on the shelf. And that's, but that's the way I've tasted with other people. They tasted me, so I was, be, I was able to become a better taster through their, through their generosity. I'm sure you've been through that same thing. Like, you became a better taster because people gave you the opportunity to taste Chris these Bates. amazing things. Yeah. Literally, Master Sommelier Chris Bates, I'm spoiled. With the fact that we have just like, he's like, he, I, I I don't know if he was like some way of the year or some shit. The, the dude's legit and he's fucking awesome. And just you calibrate your palate. I was in his original six. Like there were six of us that used to go there all the time. Our tasting group blew up to over 30 wine professionals in Western New York. Like think about that influence that he has over Western New York and everything. I've been um, a little lazy with the we, Brandon Ford, awesome sommelier, advanced sommelier. He's going to get his master's. Um, he's been inviting me to do different tastings, and I've been a little lazy with it. I don't know if it's lazy. I don't know if it's burnt. I don't know if it's that I'm slightly bitter that our Rochester tasting group kind of like fell out. It's weird. COVID does crazy things to people. Um, but it's just Chris Bates is a treasure to have. Um, I would not be a sommelier without him. And he's shown me a ton of wine that one, I can never afford and two that I could never find and three that I never knew. Yeah. And like just that access of like, there's that ongoing thing that all of us wine professionals say, we appreciate what we can't have. Um, you know, like I, I have wine friends that are like, yo, I'm never going to make six figures in restaurants, which I think is wrong. I think you can, if you grind enough, if you consult enough, if you do enough, you can make a lot of money. Um, but their kind of like thing is like what they were doing. They couldn't do it. We have expensive to, we appreciate the things that we can't, af- 
board. We have the best palettes. We have the best palettes in the world, right? Sommeliers, you know, Cicerones, all of us. I don't know what the fuck they call whiskey person. Yeah. Whiskey nados. <laughs> like, it's kind of like a Sharknado, but it's a whiskey nado. But they, you know, we appreciate things that we can't necessarily afford. But then other people share it with you, and you're just like, when somebody buys a super expensive bottle of wine that I sell, I'm going to tell you guys this. I, I've probably never tried it. And I might have one or two bottles that I'm saving for my 40th birthday, like literally in my fridge. And that'll be the one time I ever get to try that bottle. And when somebody buys a bottle like that and gives me a one or two ounce pour and is like, hey, you should try this. Like that means the world to me. And that's like why we do this. And also if you bring in really dope wine and you don't want a corkage fee or your sommelier <laughs> glass, yeah. not saying it works every time, but God damn it, your chances are better. Oh, for sure. But it's, I mean, just like anything being a decent guest. Yeah. And it's, I think it's a lost skill on a lot of people is being a good guest. Like you, you have a responsibility to yeah. be a good person with the people that are treating you well. You're in public, act like it. Yeah. And giving <laughs> one hell and you know, Jerry's coming. My father is <laughs> is possessing my body. We're going in he gives me we're going in public. <laughs> <laughs> if any of you children imagine being got with five kids at one yeah. time. Yeah. yeah it's, that it, was I mean, a it's once just year being experience. a good human at that point. You know, everyone plays the role and if everyone's playing the role accordingly it's going to be a wonderful experience for everybody across the board. Yeah. And if you can, you know, uh, something I love doing, especially when it's, you taste something in a dish and you can give real feedback back to the kitchen Yeah, and you say, Hey, I noticed you did this. Like you made, you made this dish special because you did this thing. Yeah. And that's always a huge bonus. Like, Oh, they got it. They got it. And I, I love, I love being able to do that. And that's like you said, it's some of it's training just because we've, you know, we've all done, we've all eaten amazing foods. We've all done all this stuff. We've worked hard at growing a palate and being better at describing it over time and learning how to do that. But it's the context. It's knowing the work that goes into that. When we tasted the things in the first part, right? The work that goes into working through those pairings, that isn't a one-off. You don't just get lucky with that the first time. Yeah. You can, but it's not common. You don't get there without working through it. And so you know where you're going, but until you really work through it, you don't know where you're going to end up. Black vinegar. Black vinegar. Black vinegar. Oh. We had, we had <laughs> it's, su it's such a fascinating flavor, Yeah, but it is, it is tough to it's do sometimes. Fickle. Yeah. We had, what wine was it that we had with black vinegar? We could look was at it a Menthea? It might've been the Menthea. We, do, we were doing black vinegar, roasted mushrooms. So we did black vinegar, we did mushrooms, right? Yep. And we had something with black vinegar, and we were like, wow, both of these work so well. We are like, ha, idiots, it's a slam dunk. We're going to do black vinegar roasted mushrooms. So Brian just took the <laughs> mushrooms, glazed yep. them with black vinegar, tried Hard them, no. and we were like, wow, does this suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, it just is like with pairings. Um, when I was in my level one at Hyde Park where Brian went to CIA, and that's where I got my level one and level two uh, sommelier certification. Thank you, Hyde Park, for doing what you do. Um, <laughs> they literally told us, master sommeliers, we're like, I make mistakes still. I can give you theory all day, every day, but you need to try 
everything. Because the things you think will work the best won't. And the most ridiculous things end up working. And that's life. I think that's just a fucking huge, just like overlapping way of life too. Like you think you have it planned out, you don't. And things just kind of fall into himself. Hey, we want to do Nebbia, right? Yeah. Who knows if in a few months, all of a sudden, somebody else is like, hey, I got a different idea for you guys. And I want you to do this. And... I'll I'll make your business plan for you because <laughs> it's so boring, but it's so necessary. It's it's fun because I get to be like Brian. I know people that build websites and do this, this, and this. I'm the connection guy, yeah. and Brian is like, "All right, just give me the numbers, and I make sense of it." Yep. So it's fun. Yeah, I I think that's I think that's a great point though. Is being it's being open to what's in front of you. Um, I I think I told the story on the podcast in the past, but whatever. Um, like that's, that's how I met my wife. I was, it's the thing that people tell you that you hate the most to hear is you go out and you do, you be you doing the best you, you can be. Yeah. And it'll happen. And while you're waiting for that, you're like, Oh, I hate you so much. Why in the hell are you telling me that? But I was out, I was out curling and somebody invited her (laughs) to come out and meet me. So somebody came out and said, brought Western New York AF. Yeah. W N Y A F. I know, right? But they, they brought they brought her there to meet me and I didn't know what was happening. But it's because I was out doing my thing the way yeah. I wanted to do it, being me. And then it worked. And it, everything was great. But it if I was worried about it and I wasn't just having a good time. It would have been completely different. And it's 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 being open to opportunity and knowing when it's gonna happen. But what did curling brought me to um, the people who started frankly and I joined up with them and now we do curate and that's what I'm doing now that I absolutely love working on working on curate and working with small restaurants that wouldn't have happened and that all happened because of this one part of my life that I loved unabashedly with no no hesitation like I always talk about it because I love it so deeply and it's brought me so much. Hey, we love getting fucked up in basements. And that's how we met. <laughs> They're like, hey, you know that uh, house that everyone can drink, smoke, party, and play euchre at? You're like, yeah. And like, that's yeah. how we became homies. Yep. Um, also, if you knew your wife was coming to meet you, do you think a date mic from the office scenario might have been there? I'm not an office repeat watcher. I'm fucking out of here. I'm a Golden Age Simpsons rewatcher. I'm not all an right, office I'm, watcher at I'm all. I'm here. I'm here. Golden know, Age Simpsons. Listen, Brian, that's we're, my watch. <laughs> we can't have everything in common. <laughs> but for, you know, I'll just explain. Date Mike is like, he's hitting it off with a woman and they're doing well. And then his coworker is like, yes, I brought this woman to meet you. And then all of a sudden a Kangol hat comes on and he's <laughs> dancing on a pool table and he's Date Mike and he's just an asshole. Yeah. And sounds about right. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. You know, you're kind of like you're peacocking. And he does it to the extreme because it's the office and it's cringe and it's amazing. Um, but yeah, that that was a joke that I tried to make that didn't land, and then I had to explain. It's still it for flying, another meeting. flying around. It's still somewhere. flying around. It's point, somebody point out well there. Received. There is there are at least like a lot of uh, a lot of people that are li- going to listen to this. If anybody ever is like, I, I listen to Food About Town Deep Archives. Right, we're we're an hour into the second episode. Are we already an hour <laughs> yeah. in? This is of course. <laughs> this we is how we come goes. back tomorrow and just hang yeah. out. Um, but yeah, I think I think we'll we'll end up closing out because you know yeah. we could this could go on forever. Um, so just again, where where can people find you if they want to? 
Um, follow on with uh, follow on in case there's news for Nebbia or other stuff either of you are doing. Uh, JJ, where they find you with all your stuff. You're, you consult everywhere, too. You're helping out with so many different programs. So let's talk a little bit real quick about consulting. Not mm. to sound like if chances are if you like wine and you eat and drink in the city of Rochester, you probably have had a restaurant that I've consulted for and influenced your wine tasting. I started off with my first wine list was at Two Vine. Um, <laughs> I'm a little drunk, so I'm going to talk some shit. <laughs> Jerry Seraphine fired me for telling me that I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I quit. But then he fired me because he said I was going to steal. Um, but told me that I was a kid who didn't know anything about wine. And I didn't know how to make a wine list after I changed his wine list by the glass four times and his bottle list three times without him even noticing because real fucking on top of shit owner Barassi <laughs> ran that shit and was the only reason Tuvine was ever successful besides all the amazing hardworking humans that were in there. You know, Seraphine deserves his flowers. He was a marketing guy. He was, a, I imagine some money in there. He was an owner of a very good restaurant. I don't want to fucking Absolutely. trash Jerry yeah. all the way. Um, I'm just talking a little shit. I'm teasing a little bit Jerry because <laughs> we're fucking guys and we can do that. Um, but that was my first start. I was bitter after that. I went over, and that's when I started working with Brian at Tavern. Left there, worked at Pronka under SCN with Josh, under uh, Josh Miles and everybody, and Chelsea Felton, who's a huge part of my professional career and personal uh, growth as a human, who told me I communicate like shit, <laughs> and I need to work on that. It's um, always tough. It's a tough. It's tough to hear sometimes. Yeah. But it often yeah. turns you in the right direction. It's what I needed to hear at that age because I could have been very ignorant and not have done anything about it, but I grew. Um, but so those are like my little background on things. Um, I work currently at Good Luck. I'm the sommelier there. I've consulted for Bronca Basin after I worked there. Um, Danny Walters owns it now. I made them a great wine list. They all came in a week, a couple weeks ago for um, a 30th birthday party, and they were like, dude, People really enjoy it. It's something for everybody style is what we did there. Italian concentrated with something for everybody. Um, I consult for when Ralph and Megan owned the Richmond. Um, they had a really cool natty program there. And for the brief time that happened, I was I did their wine list, and that was super fun to work with. It was a bright moment in the sun. It yeah. was a bright moment at the sun, and boy, did that burn out quick. We yeah. won't get into that. No. Um, unrelated from anything I said earlier, follow grace and disgrace. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> um, I've consulted for Viticulture and Brick and Ivy. Courtney's a very good friend of mine. She's amazing. She just sold Brick and Ivy because she was like, damn, dude, restaurants are crazy. It's a lot of work. I'm like, yeah, dude, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but she's but cool concept. Very yeah. cool concept. Viticulture is really awesome. A great spot. Beautiful. It's, it's, she knows how to design a restaurant and make it beautiful. Um, I just recently got done doing char at the Strath Allen. I don't oh, that's know. That's exciting. I remember it when it was a booklet of wine and then I went there and it was a page of wine and I was like, how do I bring it back? And I was like, let's bring it back where, listen, their California section was already solid. Right. So we just added a few little things in there. And then I was like, why are we doing all these basic things when we can do single vineyard expressions of quality because this is a high-end spot. Let's do high-end wine. Um, so I did them. Um, where else have I done? I'm missing some things. I think there were other ones that sort of came and went too, right? Yes. This is the first time in three years 
um, that I've actually not been consulting. Yeah. And it's very strange to me. I'm sure. In kind of like a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Uh, where I'm like, oh, I don't have to. What am I missing? <laughs> Other than that, you can find JJ at BombSum on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, find me at BombSum. Come see me at Good Luck. I'm over there doing it. Uh, it's We just read it, the whole menu. I'm not going to tell you what's gone and what's there, but just come see it. We're giving a heightened this. It, it's been one of the most successful restaurants for 13 and a half years. And we're going to be one of the most successful restaurants, whether I'm part of it or not for the next, I obviously want to do my own thing, but for the next 13 and a half years, it's still going to be the best restaurant. No doubt. And uh, Brian, uh, where can they find you real quick? If uh, they want to see anything else you're doing? Oh, not as much as JJ to say, but I was about to (laughs) sounds about right. No, um, (laughs) you can find me at Roarbox. It's a, one of the last few things I have yet to learn, which was pizza. So I wanted to give myself the challenge. So you can find me there uh, slinging pies every night. Beautiful. Fresh made, uh, fresh made dough. Yeah, over house. on Railroad Street. Uh, Railroad make sure Street. you swing by. It's a great location. And bounce around to a few places over there. It's one of the great spots. Great areas in Rochester to do the multi-stop in an evening. <sighs> and plate, make an amazing. Bites. Yeah, who would have thought? make an amazing evening of it. So maybe we'll see some of that later. And uh, if you want to get another great meal in Rochester, go to curatemeals.com, order for a Wednesday night, uh, support local small minority owned restaurants, um, make sure they're treated equitably like we do and get yourself a fun experience. Uh, Pick up at the German house with uh, amazing drink pairings as well. So gentlemen, thanks so much for coming over. Part two down and more to come another time. Chris, you're amazing. Thanks so much. Thanks for having us.